Welcome, and thank you for joining us for Simple Truths, the podcast of Bible Baptist Church of Wilmington, Ohio. Today, we will dive into God's Word to seek simple truths for everyday life. Let's join Pastor Josh Dixon for today's Simple Truth. Turning your Bibles, if you would please, to Genesis, Genesis chapter 22 in your scripture this morning. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Look of uh, Genesis chapter 22. Look at verse 1, if you would please, of this chapter. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt, notice that, Abraham, and said unto Abraham, or said unto him, excuse me, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon the, uh, one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, verse 7, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? That is a great question, isn't it? Verse 8, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. That's an even better answer. So they went both of them together. And they came, in verse 9, to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the, the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead, boy, that's important, of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Thank you so much. You may be seated this morning. As we began last Sunday with Mount Ararat, God did some mighty memorable things on high places in the Bible. Would you testify today? And I believe the reason is found in that he was highlighting, he was underlining the importance of that specific activity up on the mountain. We very easily can relate to this truth as we survey, we said this last week too, as we survey the terrain of our own life, those high places, if you will, those places of accomplishment, those places of, uh, of God moving in a special way within our own lives. We're striving to step on the high peaks, as you have seen now for two weeks, the high peaks of the scripture celebrating what they mean to our faith and our understanding of God. Today we're on Mount Moriah, where several things happened. If you know anything about your scripture, you know that several things happened that will ring a spiritual bell in your mind up on Mount Moriah. It is where David bought the threshing floor from Arana, the Jebusite, and built an altar there. If you remember the details of that setting, 
the Jebusite tried to give that property to David, and he said, oh, no, I'm going to sacrifice and buy the property. Remember that? After David's death, his son Solomon built the first temple on this very piece of real estate. It stood for 400 years until Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it. Seventy years later, the temple was rebuilt by the Jews that returned from the Babylonian captivity under Nehemiah's leadership. In the first century, King Herod added to the structure, and it became known as Herod's temple in the New Testament. And this is the one that Jesus cleansed in John chapter 2, verse 15. In AD 70, the Roman armies once again tore down the temple, leaving a portion of the western wall, which is known as, even today, the Wailing Wall. Prophecy tells us, if you're saved, you ought to get excited at this point. Prophecy tells us that a third temple will be built on this same piece of property during the millennial reign for our worship of Christ. If you're keeping notes, I would jot down Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48 as they teach us or tell us of that prophecy. Today, if you're wondering, this location of Mount Moriah is a very confused and compromised place. It is prominently controlled by the Supreme Muslim Council, and it is the home of their temple, the Dome of the Rock. That, however, is going to change. You can use it for now, but it's going to change very soon. The importance of this high place all began with God calling Abraham. Isn't that a thought? It all began with God calling Abraham to come up and paint a picture of his ultimate plan. We are somewhere in that picture. Abraham and Isaac in this text are what we call a type. Typology is scriptural symbolism. If you know anything about your scripture, you know that of the Old Testament. It's a person or a thing in the Old Testament that foreshadows a person or a thing in the New Testament. It's a picture, if you want a very simplistic definition, it's an Old Testament picture of Christ in the New Testament. God was personally trying, personally preparing Abraham, but more, more importantly, he's putting emphasis on his greater plan. 2,000 years, if you're keeping notes, this would be valuable. 2,000 years before Jesus died, he asked Abraham to come up on Mount Moriah. Number one this morning, it's a calling, a calling for awareness. We know that Abraham had an understanding, had a relationship with God. But like us, God was calling him to an all-new awareness. Awareness begins with that of a calling. In verse 1 of our text in the book of Genesis chapter 22, you'll notice that verse 1 says this, that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. What a thought. The God of this universe knows your name. Even before you get to the mountain, even before you get up there to experience what he is calling you to experience, he knows exactly where you are. He was looking down upon Abraham, and he was calling for him to come up. The word tempt, if you're keeping notes, in verse 1, that word tempt is described best as proving or testing of God's own. James writes and teaches us that God cannot, and I'm thankful for this, aren't you? He cannot tempt us with evil. God will never tempt you to do something 
uh, that, is, that is against his word. That's the enemy, not God. When God tempts us, he's trying us. He's proving us with a step of righteousness or to cause us to step out on one of his promises. Abraham was listening to this call. We know that he recognized God's calling upon his life. And he answers in this text very similar to that of Isaiah's answer. If you remember that from a few weeks ago, he says simply to this, as God calls his name, he says, here am I. Before going up on Mount Moriah, Abraham had to hear this intentional calling. It brought awareness to the interaction of a relationship. I ask you this morning, what is it that God is calling you to do today? Before you ever get up on the mountain, you have to hear his call. Before you ever have that one-on-one -on -one interaction in that high place of spiritual altitude, you have to recognize that he's calling your name. And can I remind you this morning, he's calling every one of our names. He knows what 10 o'clock means at Bible Baptist Church. It's a time of worship for his people. He's calling your name today. Some of you, he's calling your name in the way of salvation. You do not yet have a personal relationship with him in the forgiveness of his son, Jesus Christ. He's calling you to a personal relationship with him. He wants you to be saved today. He doesn't want you to live in the bondage of sin. Those of you that are saved ought to say amen to that. Some of you he's calling upon today, and the reasoning could be very broad. Some of us today he's calling our name because we're, we're too self-indulged. We're so into ourselves, and we're into our flesh, and the beckoning call of our flesh rather than the beckoning call of the Holy Spirit. Some of us today he's calling our names, but we're afraid to answer because we're afraid of, of the response of others. We're afraid of what others might think or what others might say about our response to God calling us up on, up on the mountain. Some of us he's calling today, and we're, we're so weighted with sin that it's difficult for us to respond. It's not that we cannot respond. It's difficult for us to respond. Have you ever been so parched? Have you ever been so, so weary that it's hard to, to lift your voice? Would anybody testify to that? Have you ever been working so hard? Have you ever put in so many hours? Have you ever been so weary that it, it's just, it's more convenient to not speak? Huh? I'm so weary, I don't even want to. There are times in our life that we get that. We may get that winded. We become just that, that weary. We become, we become that, that tired, fatigued. Can I say to you this morning, that's what sin does to you. It wears you down, stretches you thin. It pulls you far away from the fellowship of a loving God. It makes it difficult for you to answer. It's not that you cannot answer, but it pulls you so far away that sometimes it's, it's a straining ear that you are, are listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit. It has you so worn and weighted. The book of Hebrews chapter 12 says something about that in the way of the weight of sin in our life. Some of you this morning, he's calling your name, but it's difficult for you to answer because you're so weighted. And some of you this morning, if we were to be honest, no one else even knows about the weight that you're carrying. Sin has a way of being secretive too. That's probably the worst burden of sin yet. It's a secret that you're trying to keep. It's not a secret to God. He's calling and beckoning for you to come home. Others are hearing and like Abraham, need to simply acknowledge the call. Some of you are very faithful. Some of you are right where you need to be. I would call that the sweet spot, right? The spiritual sweet spot. You are right in tune with the Holy Spirit and you even hear. It's true of every one of us this morning. God is calling every one of our names. He's just calling for different reasons and some of you are in that sweet spot. He too is calling your name. 
every one of us need to answer. Well, how do I answer? I'm not saved, Pastor Josh. How do I answer? That's an easy, that's an easy solution. I'm far from God and I'm, I'm caught in sin that I have no business being caught in. I'm saved, but I am far from the way of fellowship with God. How do I even answer? How do I get on the, on the right page? How do I get back to ground zero? There's an easy solution. The answer is all the same. Abraham tells us the right answer. Here am I. Here am I. I'm right here, Lord, and I'm listening. Awareness is answered in faith. Verse 2, if you'll glance at your, your text in chapter 22, verse 2 says, And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. The response to the task at hand is explained in no better terminology than faith without question. Have you ever tried to fit yourself in this text? Have you ever tried to put yourself in the sandals of Abraham and wonder what was going through his mind? Wonder what was going through his heart and his faith as God says to him, listen, this is exactly what I want you to do. I want you to take your son. It's interesting that he says this, your only son. It's also interesting that he says this, the one that you love. Oh, he's a good boy, Abraham. I know he is, God. Isn't he special? Oh, he's a good boy. We love that boy. I want you to bring him up to Mount Moriah, and I want you to give him back to me. I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. Now, listen, likely if, if that were given to you and I, I don't know about you, but I would say, excuse me, God, you gave him to me when I had nothing. Remember, Lord, he's a promise from you, and you want me to do what? Anything, God. Is anybody with me this morning? I'll do anything, but don't touch that. Please don't take him. Don't ask that of me, God. I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere, but I do not want to come up to Mount Moriah. It's faith without question. There's not a verse that says he asked any questions. There's not a verse or a phrasing in any part of this section of Scripture that, that he even questions the will of God. He simply follows without question. Nowhere in this text or that of the hall of faith, what we call Hebrews chapter 11, does it tell us that Abraham questioned that he wavered or even bargained with the will of God. Whether it's on the mountain or in the valley, have faith in what God is doing. Please testify to that. God believes in the family. He was not compromising anything in the realm of Abraham's family. Rather, he was proving. He was testing. He was testing Abraham's love. If you're keeping notes, I would jot that. He was testing his love, seeing if he loved him more than anything else, including Isaac. Let me ask you that question this morning. Do you love God more than anything else in your, in your life? Do you love God more than your spouse? Do you love God more than your children? Do you love God more than your employment, the money that that employment provides, material possessions that you have? How about this one, your lifestyle? How about this one, your testimony? Social media has not really done us any favors in the way of our testimony. It's caused us to compare ourselves to one another in a great way. I wonder sometimes if that social media testimony really matches our real testimony. You love God more than anything else in your life? How about Abraham's faith? He was proving and testing his faith alone. Isaac was part of the promise concerning descendants. So Abraham had to remain focused on what God had said to him previous to this. He had to remember that God had already made him a promise, and God, please say amen, never breaks a promise. 
God never compromises the promise. He never goes against what he has said previous. So Abraham was really strengthening his faith in God in knowing that if God said something over there, he's going to remain faithful to what he said over there. Please say amen to that. No matter what, what is happening in my life, no matter the circumstance, God will always remain faithful. God is asking some questions today to prove our love and our faith for him. It will require a response. Faith without question. Love that exceeds anyone or anything else. First John chapter 4, verse 19. We love him because he first, what? Loved us. We must have faith that is settled. Faith that is settled in what God alone has said. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine, what? Heart. And lead not unto thine own understanding. Number two, a necessary arrangement. Necessary arrangement. When God calls upon us to come up on the mountain, it is accomplished through arranging the necessary steps to get that proper altitude. God's arranging of available resources. Notice that we said God's arranging. God asked Abraham to take of what he had already provided him. In verse 2 of our text, you'll notice this phrasing, take now thy son. God is not going to ask of you something that is out of your reach. He may ask something that is a stretch for you, but it will always, please testify to this, it will always be achievable. It's all a part of lordship, making God the Lord of your life and not just a category of your life. I fear that for us, and I say this on a broad spectrum, I fear that for us as Christians, that our lordship has been compromised. God is not necessarily the God of our life. He's just the God of a category of our life. Does that make sense to you? Think about Think about at your home. You got one drawer for socks. You got another drawer for t-shirts. You got another drawer for a pair of shorts. You got another, some of you are looking at me like, do what? Then you got a, my favorite drawer, the junk drawer. Huh? Anything goes in that drawer. You got a, pay, a favorite pair of socks. It's not going on with the rest of the socks. It's going on the junk drawer. I know exactly where to find you guys when I need you. I'm saving you for a special day. Huh? Those are my day off socks right there. They're going up here in my junk drawer. Favorite t-shirt? Anybody have a favorite t-shirt? The only one? Great. I don't care. I'm sanctified. I stand alone. I'll wear those socks and that favorite t-shirt every day if I have to. I put them in the junk drawer. They're a special drawer. You know, some of us categorize God. He's not, the, he's not the Lord of our life. He's just the Lord of a category. He's God on Sunday. Some of us, if we were to be honest, he's the God of 10 o'clock alone. We shift gears by 2 o'clock on Sunday. We're on to something else. We don't look back until maybe Saturday evening preparing and wondering what we're going to wear and set our clock to get up in time for church. He's not the Lord of your life. He's just the Lord of a category. Listen, you've got to arrange things in your life where, as we said a few weeks ago, he's sitting on the throne of your heart. Please say amen to that. Think about this. In the way of salvation, John chapter 3, verse 16, you know it well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Does that sound familiar to you? I think we read something like that in our text in Genesis chapter 22, didn't we? That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. God has provided a way for you, a way for you to be saved. If you're here this morning and you're still in your sin, meaning you do not know what would happen to you if your life were to end, speaking of eternity, God has provided a way for you to be saved. He has provided all of the resources that are needed to have a personal relationship with him. Those resources are summarized very 
very simply with this name, Jesus. You need Jesus. God has arranged. He has provided everything that you need. And by the way, what you are experiencing this morning is a part of that arrangement. You're in the right place hearing the right things. He's arranged all of the resources in your life to be saved. Next, think about our finances. God has arranged everything that we need in life. Every believer, if you're saved, say amen. Every believer is required to give unto God. Let us never forget that. It's not a matter of affordability. It's not a matter of giving to God what I can necessarily afford. Listen, if you have that mindset, you're going to give very little to God. You'll minimize the need to give. If you're a believer, if you're saved, I know this is a wonderful popular topic. God requires you to give to his work. Everything that you have is already God's. Every resource, including your next breath, God is loaning that to you. He's providing everything in your life. He's only asking, according to the scriptures, he's only asking for 10% of his resources back. That's called a tithe. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found, anybody know? Faithful. If you're here this morning and you're saved, I'm going to ask you that question. Are you faithful in the way of your finances? God has provided everything that you have. He has arranged all of the resources of your life. That job that you're going to go to in the morning, and I know you're not looking forward to it. It's a Monday morning. Back to the grind, right? But that job is a gift from God. You open that fridge here in a few hours, everything in there, praise God, is a gift from God. Even the bologna. That's heaven food right there. The car that you're going to walk out to here in just a moment, that's a gift from God. He's arranged all of those things. Are you faithful with your finances? How about this one? Your family, your marriage, your children, they're worth fighting for. Your spouse is a blessing. Your family's worth fighting for. Your children, they're a heritage of the Lord. They're worth fighting for. Can I admonish you? Can I exhort you? Fight for them. Spend time with them. Mm. Spend time with them. Invest in them. Make memories. I say this to you almost every summer season. Make memories with your children this summer. Hey, you only have them for so much time. Time is short. Make memories with them. Fight for your children. All of these resources and more. These are the things that God provides for us. We'll do ourselves a great benefit to recognize that he's the one supplying He's the one arranging everything in front of us to be faithful. And then it comes to our application of the resources, our stewardship. Verse 3 tells us, and Abraham rose up early in the morning. He began right away on putting together or arranging, to use our word, what God had provided. He recognized everything that God had put in front of him to accomplish the task at hand. And he began to saddle the donkey. He took two of his young servants. He grabbed Isaac. He gathered wood. And they traveled approximately, if you're keeping notes, 50 miles up on Mount Moriah. And then verse 4 tells us, they saw the place afar off. Someone said, quote, those who leave everything in God's hand will eventually see God's hand in everything, end quote. I believe the ongoing theme that we are going to see on these mountaintop moments is that of required obedience. God in reality did the same thing in a sense with Abraham that he did with Joseph, that he did with Job. God knew that they would be tested. He knew that their faith would be tried. Get this. But he also knew they would be true. They would be true to him. And that is what made this a typology situation, a picture of Christ in the New Testament. Abraham's willingness to arrange his life, listen to this, 
into the hand of God. What about you today? We, we all need to go down the list of necessities when it comes to our faithfulness, our willingness. How or what do you need to arrange in your life so that God can properly get the glory? What is it this morning that you need to recognize God has provided you with this resource. Now, what is it that you need to do with the resource so that God gets the glory? Some of you, we, we've already listed it. It's your family. It's your finances. It's your own life slash testimony. God has set everything before you. Listen, even this church is a part of that list of resources. Not everybody has the same opportunity that you and I have. Praise God for it. Let's not take that for granted. What is it or how is it that you need to arrange things on your part? Says that he says that he rose up early. I think something valuable in that too. I just kind of hit this and move. Isaac never asked any questions. Not until they got somewhere in the journey. Hey, Dad, I think you might have forgot something. No, bud. God will provide. Those servants, they never asked a question. They followed along on the journey until Abraham and Isaac split off to go on up. Necessary arrangement. Number three, and we'll be finished, blessed assurance. A relationship with God always comes with confidence, and the more mountains you climb, the more confidence you have in God. God always provides. He always provides. If you have your text open, let's just refresh our memory on verse 7, if you glance at it quickly as we draw to a close this morning. Verse 7 of chapter 22, it says this, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Behold the fire, the wood, where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And so they went, both of them, I like that word, together. God always provides. Isaac asks the obvious question, where's the lamb? The boy knew something, didn't he? He knew something about a blood sacrifice. He now was learning that God always provides. Abraham answers the question in verse 8 with unexplainable faith. Now, I think that it's interesting that Abraham does not expound on it. He doesn't go any further other than saying, God will provide, Isaac. Well, he didn't say this. Well, Isaac, the way I see it is I'm going to lay you on the altar. I'm going to raise a knife over you, and I'm going to give your life for the things of God. You ready, buddy? Let's go. No, he didn't do that. Was he willing? But he didn't get ahead of himself, and he didn't get ahead of God. We find ourselves guilty of both of those from time to time, don't we? He didn't try to explain away. Why? Because he didn't know the ending of it. He was trusting God for it. He believed that God was going to provide in some way, in some fashion, but he didn't get ahead of himself, and he certainly didn't get ahead of God. However, it was. Abraham was willing and he was going to offer his only son as a sacrifice. And that is the picture, my friend. That is the type that we're looking for. Complete confidence in God's ability and his plan. We also notice that it's often in ways, God provides often in ways that we do not expect. Verse 11 of the text, as we draw to a close, it says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Abraham never saw the ram caught before this moment. Have you ever played that out in your mind? On the way up to this exact point, they did not walk by the thicket and say, wow, there's a ram. Let's keep moving. They were not building the, the altar and look over in the, in the rustling of the brush and see the ram caught. 
That doesn't say anything about that in the scripture. It says, however, in verse 13, that it was behind him when he looked. It kind of reminds me of the ministry of Christ. The people were unaware of the presence of Christ when he began his earthly ministry, even though he was physically present with them. Do you remember what John the Baptist said in John chapter 1, verse 29? He says this, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Is anybody with me this morning? They were unaware, and Jesus was right there among them. But it wasn't until God's perfect timing that John the Baptist looked and beheld. There he is. I think it's interesting that he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Does that not tie in to the typology and picture that we're seeing in Genesis chapter 22? Please say amen if you see it. Abraham looked behind him and saw the ram. Some are unaware and need assurance today that there is salvation available. You've not seen the way. You've not even seen maybe the need until today, but there is a possibility of your salvation. You can be saved. You can have a relationship with God. Some are unaware and need assurance that there is a way out for you. You feel trapped with life. You feel pinned in, claustrophobic, if you will, because of some of your poor decisions or some of the circumstances of life, and you almost feel like you're being pinched and squeezed a little bit by life. I want to say to you, look behind you. There is a way. God is providing a way out for you. All of us need to be assured. This current society, this current culture, this is not the end of God's story for us. If you're saved, say amen. This is not the end. Redemption is coming. You remember what the scripture says in the book of Revelation? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I fear that some believers are looking around at the current culture and the current society and the lack of leadership and the, the growing violence around us and the confusion and, and uh, the, the uh, finances and the gas prices and all that is going on in the way of our economy. And it's just a big cloud of dust. And it doesn't seem like there's any way out of it. Is there anybody with me this morning? God's not finished. There's a ram in the thicket. The story is not over. It's just a part of the story. Thank you for joining us today for Simple Truths. If you would like to accept Christ as your Savior, or if you have questions, please give us a call at 937-383-1122 or check us out on the web at bbcwilmington.org. Simple Truths is a podcast sponsored by Bible Baptist Church of Wilmington, Ohio. We hope you have a great day and may God bless you.